Did you watch the movie Mad Max and think it was historical? No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Mona and Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. Culture, culture, culture. Culture. <laughs> Gotta thank you for throwing in the echo. That's exactly what we needed right there was an mm-hmm. echo. All right. A little well, showmanship. little show. <laughs> All right. A this week. for you. I don't know. <laughs> this week, we are going to be asking the question, does God feel emotions? And for our segment, we are going to be doing another round of Would You Rather? So this topic, Alan, you're once again, you're bringing us, you're bringing the topic to the table, which... I appreciate right. it. Take some work off yes, my of table. So <laughs> go ahead and uh, what, what do we mean when we ask the question, does God feel? Because I think we use rhetoric a lot of the time, like that breaks the heart of God or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, so do we really believe that God actually feels emotions, is an emotional being? So let's let's real quick answer with one word, each of us, and then we'll just unpack it from there. I think oh, that would be fun. All right, done this yet? So, Alan, and, and we and we mean in the the usual sense of emotions. Yes, like, yes. So, so that's your answer. Yes, my answer is yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yes. Okay. My answer is yes. Mona, I don't like this yes or no business. What's, <laughs> what's happening here? Don't I shove me into a binary. Your, your binary. You got to do it. I don't play the game. It's a, it's a complicated question. No. <laughs> I refuse question. to conform. So your answer is no. No, my answer is neither Maybe. of those options. <laughs> I'm going to say no. You're going to say no. Are you saying no just to be uh, contrary? No, I'm really saying no because I actually believe that. You're actually saying no. Okay. And, so it's, we and have- it's funny because it sort of mirrors our personalities. Like emotions are the most important thing in the world to me. So of course God has emotions. And Jeff's like, I'm a Vulcan and I will logically assess the situation. <laughs> And come up with the answer? No. Um, Talk about binaries, man. Let's just put us all in a box <laughs> right there. What the heck? Right. Yeah. That's what our theology does. So, yeah, the question is, like, um, are all of the references to God feeling or experiencing emotion simply anthropomorphisms or, like, making understanding God using human terminology, though God is not human? For instance, we say... You know, in, in the Psalms, talks about God's righteous right hand or, you know, feet or body or whatever. But classic, I guess, Christian theology doesn't believe God has a body. God is not, um, you know, doesn't have parts, is not a body. And so anytime a body is referenced throughout scripture or maybe people's worship songs or whatever, it's just an anthropomorphism to understand something about God. It's not literally referring to a body. So the question is, is that the same with emotions? Or does God actually feel emotions when that is spoken? And so how you determine that kind of has fallout for a lot of different things, I think, it affects. We talked a little bit about how it affects prayer, right? What do we mean by emotions, though? We have to ascertain our foundational assumptions about what emotions are before we ask if God has them or not. We do. And uh, we could, you know, do the whole, there are three elements on the periodic table, wind, fire, and water kind of thing. Or like there's only four or five emotions like in the movie um, Inside Out that we talked about in a previous episode, right? Yeah, but that's that can't be our source for this episode. Of course not. It's like it's not a source. <laughs> of okay. course not. It, this is why this is a really complicated question because if you – it hinges on other assumptions or beliefs about God. If you If you mean emotions in the sense of like – a brain activity, hormones that and and chemicals that flood your ba- brain and make you experience certain sensations through your body because emotions are very body based and you don't believe God has a body or like chemicals that can flood God's brain because God's not material, then God does not can't have emotions like us. But like Alan, like you said, if there's you know there's there's not only biblical basis but actually philosophical basis to believe that God and does in fact have emotions. Yeah. Um, or chooses to be that way in connection with human beings um, and, you know, somehow creates that. I, so for me, emotions is not when I speak about God having emotions, I think you're right. It's not an embodied thing. We experience emotions in the sense that something happens in the external world or happens to us. 
and emotions ha- kind of happen to us, right? Before we can even consciously engage the fact that we're angry, we're angry because something has caused that. And so I think for some people, it bothers them that something could affect God before or um, pri- a priori or whatever to God having a will to control the, you know, some sort of reaction. Um, so I think that when I talk about emotions, I'm talking about because of who I am, when something affects me, feelings arise, right? And I think about God in the same way. Because of who God is, when something affects God or happens to God, there is a change that happens inside of God in relation, not in who God is, but in relation to the um, the event or the other that God has created that is interacting with God. I guess that's that's a lot of language, but basically God can be affected on like an emotional level kind of thing. Well, no. well it goes, it's more complicated than that. Even what you're saying, I, I think those are good points, but it goes into the question of God's omniscience as well. Does God know everything? Because in our understanding of emotions, our bod- embodied human understanding of emotions that informs, isn't, has been informed by psychology, like in the last hundred years, um, you know, the discovery of the subconscious and that emotions are things that percolate up through our um subconscious and if and they often happen before we're aware of them they're already working on us or working in us and so if god has perfect foreknowledge then god doesn't have a subconscious for emotions to percolate up through so can god really react to something if god knew it was going to happen this this question opens up a giant can of worms yeah and speaking of open <laughs> it crosses over to open theism which t- a lot of people who i think uh, find this a really meaningful conversation are open theists. And I kind of flirt with that a little bit. And that's the idea that the, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that hey. the <laughs> I'm open when it comes You've to hooked that. up a few uh, times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the idea that f- the future hasn't happened and that because of quantum physics um, or whatever, there's, there's not a determined set future, but there is actually real chance in the world. And God can make, claims about the future and say, I'm going to do this in the future. You know, I, I'm going to send a Messiah or, or whatever. And that's different than saying God knows every single thing that will happen in the future. And so people who hold open theism uh, really find this meaningful because God is actually reacting to history as it's happening. And um, I'm not quite sure I, where I am with all of that, but I tend to think about the emotional conversation from like a more historical sense like I, I i find it really interesting that stoicism the greek philosophy that started in the third century bce uh, with zeno was the most popular form of greek philosophy during the early church like marcus aurelius and other caesars were stoics all of like the thinkers were stoics and the Paul stoics believed by stoicism right well, yeah absolutely heavily. and the, the stoics believed that things like um Anger, envy, jealousy, even like sexual attachment or love really for anything, love for anything was like an error in logic. And so they really Mm -hmm. divided up human experience between the logical, the logos, which is, you know, the word in Greek existed before the New Testament was written. But the New Testament talks about God as being the logos, like the, the thing that has fated the whole universe, the mind behind the universe that has no emotions, right? Because it's perfect, it won't make these errors that we make that give us all these emotions. And so the goal of human life was to be logical and to separate yourself from like emotional living. Yeah, emotions were seen as frail, like um, antithetical to proper reasoning. And also, I want to just throw something in there. We've talked about this in the past. That they were assigned to femininity. Um and it was considered very shameful if a man failed in logic and acted too much like uh, what they perceived to be a female sort of way of being in the world um, or a feminine way of being in the world. That's why that honor-shame dynamic exists. That philosophy doesn't exist anymore. So why do we even need to talk about that? <laughs> not at all. We're not seeing that firsthand in the presidential election at all. You know. Anyway, go ahead. Exactly. I mean, so that's why... Feminists have had such a horse in the game actually to demonstrate why God has emotions because that includes women into divine ways of being. Whereas if you have a really masculine concept of God that is unemotional, um, it tends to also 
exclude women. No offense to present company. I'm sure that's not intention, but that's the historical reception. Right. That's what feminists like Mary Daly have argued, you know, from early on. Yeah. And and it's offensive to me as a man to have my masculinity equated with stoicism to be, you know, very blunt that that's dehumanizing in my, in my opinion, that's like forcing men to give up some sort of claim to emotional intelligence, which is the ability to like, know what you're feeling, to express it, to understand what other people are feeling. Um, and it's funny that that was seen as like the lowest rung of rationality. That was like, <laughs> that was the irrational was to under, you know, engage in all those things. I, I think that going back to what you were talking about earlier, Mona, is that our emotions are intimately connected with our physical body. We know that more and more. So to ascribe emotional reactions to God seems counterproductive on that one level. And then the other idea of it is, is if if scripture or someone has a God experience and describes how they believe God feels, I think that if God feels, I think it's more along the lines of something that is beyond us, but similar to the way that we experience emotions so that the best way that we can understand how God reacts in that situation is by describing it as emotions. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, it, the, that could be the only language we have to explain um, God's actions. I want to go back to the open theism thing, Alan, what you were saying earlier be, for two reasons. First Before of all— we bounce away from what Jeff said, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of want to talk about that. Um, sure. Everything that Jeff said could be— said of rationality as well. Our rationality is completely tied to our body. Our thoughts and our processes, the the whole system we have created of logic is only a result of us being embodied human beings. So therefore, God shouldn't have any sort of logic or rationality involved or any mind that we can think of. So like, it's almost regressive. It's like, uh, I understand that we seek to create a God in our own image, right? We, we have the desire to anthropomorphize God in such a way. The options are, if we're not going to do that, it's regressive all the way to some sort of non-personal life force that sustains all of the universe, right? Doesn't think, doesn't feel, doesn't really interact with us on any sort of personal level, and you end up with deism. So I think if, if you're going to, no, which not. is a way to go, but it's like, if... If it's not this, mm-hmm. it's that. Like, like Jeff was saying that you can... Like God can have rationality that's just so beyond our rationality that it's not because our rationality, right, is like limited to our embodied contextuality and our perspective. It's not all knowing, right? So, but we can talk about these things in differences of degrees, not categories. You get what I'm saying? Like, yes, God has maybe I, I don't really ascribe as much anymore after talking to you two for like a year and a half to the concepts of perfection necessarily. I think some of those are problematic, but we could say God's emotions are like um, much more infinite than ours, right? You see more of the spectrum of light than, than we can see, feel more of the spectrum of the emotional spectrum than we feel or think with much more rationality, much clearer than we do or something like that. So I can talk about like degrees, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have those things just because we do, you know? And I think Jeff's right in saying that um, it's problematic for me to hear someone else say, I know what God feels about this situation, because in some ways that's that's inex- inaccessible. We can say what we think God uh, experiences, but that's not our experience, right? And, and we're, we're looking through a mirror dimly, as the New Testament would say, and we have to be humble about that. But that's just saying that it's impossible to fully know is radically different than saying God is like a non-personal being that um that we interact with because the god that like i don't know i find in the in the new testament in the bible and um as a part of my christian makeup and faith is a personal god and that's like right the god of the the trinity the the, the trinity's founded on that in my opinion um divine oh, love please is don't, founded <laughs> say, say, please say on one point don't talk about the trinity right right now. right 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 good right. lord <laughs> but that that's what i'm saying alan is i don't think i think you're jumping to uh, I think you're saying because we can't describe those things that it automatically makes it impersonal. I don't think that that's the case. I think right. that that's, you mm-hmm. can't connect those two. Right. I think that it, if anything, it makes it personal on a level that we can never fully comprehend. But yeah, that doesn't make it, it impersonal. Hyper personal. Exactly. So it's, I think the it difference, it's the difference in, in definition that we have. For me, it's like very shaky ground to argue 
the, even the varying degrees of like, if God doesn't feel emotions like we feel, then God is deistic because concepts of justice completely fall apart. If you can't make serious claims that when someone is like abused, then it hurts God or like God has a reaction or a, a, even if it's within God's structure of holiness or something like to strip completely away any notion, even if it's anthropomorphized, that God is grieved by that that sin or that evil or that oppression, like where where does justice go if you take that apart? Right, I'm we, not saying we're you describing have to. It. Okay, but I'm, we're describing it in the words that mm-hmm. we have. Yeah. yeah, but you're saying some people opt to go no, in that direction. No, I, I was saying you could. I was saying you could take everything that okay. was said about emotions and apply it to like rationality and like say you know, and it's just like a, it's like a rabbit hole kind of thing. Is all I was referring to is that you could do that. You could apply. That's so. That's where I think this whole conversation falls apart is the definition of emotions as being something other than like rationality or logic or whatever, or like opposed forces. Because for me, uh, again, the way I define emotions is like not an error in logic, not something that's wrong, but being affected by other things, other things causing changes in me, in my body, in my person, in my being, whatever. And I believe that God is affected by the world. And so when I say deistic, that's like God is unaffected by the world. Whatever happens in the world doesn't necessarily matter. It's not going to affect God. That's that's like the definition of deism, right? And uh, a theistic God is one. And so maybe maybe my definition of emotions is totally different than someone else's. Um, I know that I know that for instance, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is foundational for uh, Presbyterians, says God has no passions. God um, it has all these things, but God has no passions. God is not passable god is not affected on an emotional level by the happenings in the world so there's at least and maybe they understand emotions totally different than i do but at least for me it's it's the ability to affect a change in no but you're talking about two different types of change like there's a change that the open theologians would say like for God to experience an emotion or for God to like experience emotion and then change God's mind, which there are several scriptural references to that. Like God was grieved and then God did something different or God heeded the repentance of the people. And then God acted differently. Exodus 32 uh, says that Moses talked with God and God changed God's mind about punishing the people. So that's, that's one kind of change and being affected. There's another kind of change that would lie in the realm. We talked about this off air a little bit of process theology, which none of us, it's incredibly philosophical and incredibly dense. (laughs) None of us are well-versed in it, but we know enough to kind of talk about it. So that's, (laughs) we might not do it much justice here, but process theology would believe that God actually over time evolves because not only does, does God not know the future, but God is so affected that God evolves alongside the world and God changes like in a big sense can change or learn is that change. God can actually, yeah. that God doesn't know everything that God learns along with history. Um, you know, so you could argue, uh, people argue that if God is not the great, some of the classical proofs for God is that God is the being to which no greater can be conceived. And if God can change, then you can imagine a greater being than a God that doesn't change. And if that God is greater than that, must be the God of gods or, and we're serving a lesser God if we think God can evolve. So that would be like the counter argument. So, so the change you're talking about, Alan, is like being affected by the world and being responsive to the world. Um, and it's interesting, I, I think for me that the question of foreknowledge is super important. I want to jump back to that for a sec. Um, because if God knows the future, then God not only, if God knows the future and feels emotions, like in a it, close to a sense that we do, of course, not in the same way, because if if God doesn't have a body like we do or chemicals in, the, in God's brain, then God may, I don't know if God cries or not. We can't prove that. Nobody will ever be able to prove that. But let's just say God, God does experience emotions like we experience them. And that's part of our divinity is being able to experience and empathize and grieve and laugh. You know, maybe that's part that maybe that's the most God that we are like, who knows? Um, let's, so let's say God does not knows the future and experiences emotions. That means that God is grieving like all of the wars that have ever been fought and all of the worlds that, that will ever be fought all the freaking time. Like God <laughs> is in a constant state of grief and a constant state of joy. And God experiences all emotions all at once at all times. And therefore, does God even experience the emotion because maybe it just collapses into a big black hole because it's like so much that it's it's 
nothing, you know? And, and that's where I'd punt to the infinity of like the infinitude of God, right? God is uh, big enough to, and, and this is like pastoral language. God is big enough to handle the different emotions, big enough to handle what is going on, both sad and happy and joyous at the same time. And uh, just the fact that God would take pleasure in creation or that the universe would happen, the universe would exist, would evolve over billions of years is an act of God. And like, you know, we, we create stuff and we and we take pleasure in it. God is taking pleasure in all of this happening at the same time. That's so much pleasure. It would break the meter, right? Like that's that's like what that's saying. But God is um, – and this is where I think about transcendence again. God is above and beyond all that we experience and imagine and uh, can handle all of that at once. But it is mind-boggling to think about the fact that um, – God is even witnessing everything that happens <laughs> with all of the death that happens in biology. Right. Uh, evolution depends upon the idea that m- more animals die than we see. Right. There's more deceased species than exist right now. Um, maybe even a hundred times more. I don't know. And like billions and billions and billions of deaths all the time. So I could see why that would be difficult to reconcile, but that gets into like evil and God. Um, I think dialing it down maybe in one one emotion would probably help like uh pain. This is probably makes it a little more clear. I don't I think, think pain's for me. an emotion. Uh like uh pain, sadness, grief. Okay. Grief. Yeah, so Jeremiah 31 for instance talks about God's heartbreaking, God experiencing pain for Ephraim looking at uh this group of people who have kind of gone their own way and hurt themselves and blah blah blah. Um is that just an anthropomorphism or does God actually suffer? Theologians for thousands of history would for thousands of years of history would say, no, God does not suffer because that makes God weak. And if God can be affected in that way, then there's something wrong with God. Right. And, and I am and saying liberation that that's, theologians have come alongside and said that th- that has been the exact same reasoning that has excluded the poor from exactly yes. from conversations about theology and from um, you know, because if, if you believe that God is the sovereign, all-powerful being, then God shows favor, you know, and, and whoever's got power, whoever's got favor, whoever's got wealth, obviously God chose them to have those things. And so God in God's sovereign will has chosen the wealthy to be wealthier, whatever. Like this is this is how this has gone. Like sovereignty has been incredibly oppressive in some cases. And so if you believe that God is the God of the oppressed, that God even makes God's self weak on purpose or chooses to align with the weak or chooses to evolve or chooses to grieve, even if God doesn't have to, then God is God is coming alongside the lowest of the creation. So it's and a really have, powerful theology. Yeah, and I have no other way to think about that. If God does not actually grieve the injustice in the world, then I have no way personally to reconcile my faith to that. You know what I mean? If I have, if I'm forced to believe in a God that doesn't grieve and a God that's not affected by evil in that sense toward people that are oppressed, then like it all kind of breaks down for me. I'm going to say something that's going to be very difficult. I'm I'm going to go there. <laughs> what good is it to have a grieving God if God can't or won't stop horrible evils from happening? If God is affected that deeply and it really does grieve God for evil to happen, then why doesn't God do something about it? Because it would override the freedom that God gives to the universe. I think it's impossible for me now as a theologian to take a step back and look at cosmic evolution, biological evolution on our planet, uh, on all those things, and not say at least uh, God has given some measure of freedom to this universe for whatever reason, and this is the universe that we have. There is, There's chance, right? Chance that is involved in all of that. And for God to constantly step in and stop whatever is happening is um, prevents that freedom from happening. You know? Well, I don't think that it's not, it's not even just a, why doesn't God step in constantly? It's like, you also have to answer the other side of that coin is what makes God step in when God does, or do you believe that God ever steps in? So then the question right. of miracles and all that stuff comes in and then Divine action, then it becomes even more problematic. Like, because I, I think you're right. I think that we've set up this or that God has set up this universe's freedom, you know, and we talk a lot about uh, injustice. I mean, one of the central key components of trying to bring about justice is allowing people to have 
their own agency. And whether you right. step in for good or not for good, it doesn't matter. You're taking away someone else's choice and agency on a certain level. So if we solve this, this will be the you know most popular podcast episode ever <laughs> in the history of the world. Um, but I, I, th- I have a couple problems. This, number one, I think it's problematic to use scripture as a reference to that. If scripture says God grieved, because given all of our stances on scripture, that is... You know, I mean, that is it's trying to describe something else. And I don't think that we can. It's not a sure, it's not a surefire one to one correlation. The Bible says it. Therefore, I do it. Therefore, I believe it. We can look at it and say this is an anthropomorphism. It can be interpreted differently. It, well, yeah, saying. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think that there's uh, again, I think that there's there's that level of grief. And I think there is something to the idea of God not stepping in due to the fact that God has given us all a certain amount of agency or complete agency or whatever. But I, I don't know. That's why I think this whole conversation about does is got affected. I think if you're, if you're using in terms of motion in terms of affected by humanity or creation, I would say yes, because I believe that God is intimately connected with those things. And that's the very nature of connection, right? Is that this yeah. happens and this is affected and all that kind of stuff. But where the cause and effect comes into that, I don't know. And uh, I guess the real question is, what does it matter? Like w- the belief that you hold, what does it matter in the way that you live your life and the way that you encounter people? Like when you are faced with real life justice, does that philosophy affect the way you approach people and the agency of others and yourself? I, I think chance yeah. is hugely important in this conversation. I want to go back to what you said, Alan, about quantum physics. Not that I have much to say about quantum physics because I'm not a quantum physicist, but quantum physics actually really impacted theology a lot because um, all of a sudden this idea of chance being built into the fabric of the universe, like randomness is built into the fabric of the universe. Like God, creator God, planted randomness into the fabric. That doesn't mean, that means that you have to debunk old notions of I mean, kind of, we talked about debunking old notions of sovereignty, like God chooses this and that person to have, and God, because God really loves those people and everyone else just, you're, you're, you're kind of screwed or, or that God like uses, um, certain people like, like to turn them against so that God uses them for God's purposes, like Pharaoh, like turns Pharaoh's heart against God so that God's purposes can be, um, met it out actually did you know that there is a faction of of conservative evangelicals who are kind of spreading this notion that donald trump is god's agent in the yeah, world like, that, like the old testament a, king or whatever yeah I've heard he's that. a Ugh. he's a necessary evil like they agree he's evil but he's a necessary <laughs> evil so like if they just elect, like cyrus or whatever from the assyrian yeah thing that let the people go back and rebuild the temple so yeah. they, they genuinely believe if they elect this guy into office, that God will bring America back to Jesus. Like they really genuinely believe that. I, th- I find that really fascinating. And I I don't understand how you could believe that in a democracy. And like, you don't put that guy in power on purpose. Like, you know, he might rise to power as a tyrant. But like, you know, that's that's not in a democratic state. I also state. think it's it's instructive in the middle of you talking about the Bible in, in that way. Uh, the, the stuff that we have from the Bible is written after the fact. We don't have prophecies of someone saying Cyrus is the one that what we have is texts written after the fact that are explaining um, in their way of understanding history that this is what God was doing for us all along, right? We, yeah. it's, it's different than saying Donald Trump is God's mouthpiece and needs to be listened to so that... So, it's the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. So you'll it's find very few people, you'll find very few theologians, if any, really saying that God acts like that sovereignly, like moving us around like p- pawns in a chess game. Um, that that softened over the course of time to say, well, maybe God rolls cosmic dice. God's just got these big old dice up there and God rolls them for like each individual lie for each individual situation. And like whatever, you know, the chance comes out um, that that's kind of like your lot, you know? So, but, but with the advent of quantum physics interacting with theology um, and the belief that chances and randomness is built into the fabric of the universe, you can't deduce anything from being born in one country and being born in the next, having some chemicals in your brain and other people having none. Like the fact that I wasn't born um, a sociopath is a, is a random act of chance. And actually you can see this in um, this. Is, okay, so I'm going to talk about the Bible. Shock, shock and awe. 
that story of Jesus and the blind man. And remember the blind man was brought before the Sanhedrin or the court. And uh, people were like, well, his parents were sinful. That's why he was born blind. And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true. He debunked it. You know, he's just like, it just kind of, it was just a product of the random chance that's built into the fabric of the universe. No, Jesus said specifically, he was given (laughs) this on purpose. So that for this very moment, he was made blind so that I could show you something. (laughs) No, you're right. Actually. Okay. So that would be a sovereignty Oh shoot! I totally just debunked well, so, my I own I think it's interesting argument. you you mentioned randomness. Like I I feel like the more I learn and the more like information I soak in, the less I believe in randomness. Like I right. don't you I don't know I don't know if yeah I don't know if I believe, believe that randomness is in you know inbred into the the fabric of the universe. I think we just haven't been able to explain it yet. I, I don't it, know. I believe it is less and less. It that. is though. I I really think there is a threshold. It's possible that we will solve the quantum theory problems, but like. As it stands right now, it probably won't be solved, and there really is randomness at the base of reality. How that leads to predictability like in physics and biology is a really fascinating question. Um, There are philosophers who argue between determinism and um, like on a natural way, not not that God has determined the world, but that physics itself, once the universe began and spun, uh, it's determined completely for all of the future. Uh, there are some people that believe that, some people that don't, and it's a really complicated argument to kind of go either way. But even given that, like, even given foreknowledge that God knows everything that's going to happen, God could still be affected, you know? I don't, and, and I don't and think like, God does know what's going to happen, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in foreknowledge. Yeah, that, that that's at least open theism, if not process theology, right? Open yeah, theism is that God doesn't know the future, right? It's just infinite infinite mathematical possibilities like it goes to infinity which you know but but it's not an either or thing god can still be sovereign in the sense that god is in control can choose to take an action at one time or another or stop acting i think god so that that's my thing i think god's always acting i think like it's an illusion to think that god is other than the universe in such a way that god steps in when something i think always at all times the physical processes themselves processes themselves are miracles that the, anything exists at all at any moment is a miracle that is held together by god in a miraculous way that's so how god i is look the fun- at it the god is the fundamental life force we're all agreeing on that the fundamental existence right and and so if god's going to like stop doing something or start doing something or or, or make a decision like uh it's almost like the water we swim in. It's difficult to explain because like, but I do believe God affects history. However, we arrive at this, God has chosen in my mind, in my theology to interact with human history. And, and that requires an element of emotions in my mind that requires an element of responding to humans and humans responding to God. Um, at least for me to understand it the way that I do. I, so I, don't I, know. I don't know how I you think get, away, that, get away from that. I agree with all that stuff you were saying, but I think I think we counteract that whole concept and feeling of how God is connected to the universe and to history when we use the word sovereign. I hate that word because I think it it, it implies this – I mean, the word sovereign, it comes from this uh, like hierarchical, like right. God is it pulling the strings and all that kind of stuff, and it doesn't speak to the idea of interconnectivity. Not full on – I always forget the – the, the word the theism not is it pantheism which is the one where god is in Pan, pantheism is god is everything is god Pan, yeah and theism which i love is that everything exists inside of god in there we go way. so god's so like more along those lines if everything exists in god then right you it can't not be affected god i mean we've arrived at the age-old philosophical 101 question can god make a rock so big that god can't move it you know it, it's what I'm trying to say is like, it's the same question. Is God so affected that God can't, cannot stop being affected? But right. if God is all powerful, then God should be able to stop. <laughs> God should be able to do whatever God wants to do. So maybe the question is, is God's will to be affected or not? And I think there's a lot of people from multiple religious traditions would say that God does will to be affected by us, whether God has to or not. It's Which is a really question. powerful kind of thinking. I like to appro- I like to approach it from Jeff's. Per- Jeff was like, "Well, what what does it matter, right? <laughs> How does that have any impact on our day to day living?" And like, I think it's a powerful thing to think of God not in terms of pulling the strings behind history, but having a dynamic relationship, listening, 
thinking, feeling. And when we interact with God, stuff is actually happening. You know, it's not a for an impersonal force, but something that we have a give and take with. I think that's a very powerful thing. And I think uh, you were right to talk about social justice because it gives rise to social justice. That puts a lot of power in people's hands and creation's hands to do big stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I think about it a little bit differently. I think I think about God more as a force, I think, um, and less personal. And I think I, I think God is our not only the force that sustains the, the universe, but I think God is our ability to love. I think that that is God's being with us. And the the fact that we are at any given moment able to love means that God's presence is with us and in us and um it's an expression of working God. working on us. But right. it is God. I mean mm-hmm. that that's I think that's one of the most profound statements that's ever been utter- uttered that God is love, like not like love, not gives love, not loves love, but God actually is one-to-one equation, love. And so when I think about it that way, I think, you know, my understanding is that love has its own agenda. Um, And so I think to just argue that God is emotional for the sake of being emotional is hard for me to understand or argue. But when I think about God being love and that love itself has a vector, a trajectory, an agenda, uh, an end goal of health and life and vitality and um, goodness, then that that to me is a lot easier to argue, I guess, than a God right. that's just kind of sad with us but can't do much or a God that acts in opposition to what we might perceive would be just emotion, you know? Because a lot of people, there actually, you know, I know people personally who believe that like when bad things happen, you know, God might be a little sad, but it's ultimately for the greater good and God really wants it to happen. So you should submit yourself to it. I don't and, know. And I, and I don't believe that, but, I, but I'm not with you on the... Um... God is kind of an impersonal force. And I think this is where we differ on this podcast is that I'm still, I guess, conservative in a lot of ways or orthodox historically, because I still believe in like Trinitarian theology that God is three separate persons in one being and that God is a personal being in the sense that relationship is built into like who God is. And that means affirming the other, even within God and affirming the other as us. And that like, Seeing the other and being seen by God as other is an important element to emotions. And I think that, like, it's not just um, panentheistic. It's all one. I I guess there is a sense that that's true. But the otherness of God and the otherness of us is very important in my conception of my faith. And so if God is these three people forever connected in relationship, you know, spinning in love or whatever, related to each other in love— bringing human beings into that is like um is a very powerful thing and i i think it affects my daily living in the way that i speak to god in the way i look at other people right um the way i pray for other people i think it really does come down to prayer jeff you were asking does it make any difference i think it does if god feel if god experiences emotions and experiences like differences based upon what i do my interactions with God will be different. If God's unchanging and, and none of this even really matters, I'm not going to speak to God in the same way. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. I think that there's, I don't think there's any really difference between what you two are saying. I, I still, I'm having a hard time grasping this idea, the difference between seeing God as a force and seeing God as personal, as, person. as two separate things. Like, I feel like, as soon as we have words for something, it loses a little bit of its luster, a little bit of its magic, a little bit of its mystery and feeling, for lack of a better word. Because we use the word force, and I think we have this idea of this disembodied, like, ooh, you know, something we'll never be able to explain. But then we use personal, and I think it becomes too Jesus narrow. Jesus is my boyfriend. Yeah, you know, or my homeboy or whatever shirt is out there to, I'm not you saying know. you're saying that, Alan, but that's the only really concept that I can understand. And, and again, the word person, we're using that because that's a, a concept that we're familiar with, but that might be very far from what actually yes. the Trinity is if the Trinity exists, right? I do like, uh, there's some Greek theologians, John um, Zizulis, I don't know how to say his last name, that talks about being in personhood. Um, as like the essential being person for God and for humans, 
like personhood is a reference to the other in connection. Um, you're a person when you are an other that is connected to other others. You're not a person by yourself. Personhood is defined as being your own thing while in connection to these other people. And then so like that's that's what I mean by personhood is that God is other than me, different, but at the same time connected to God's own self and to me. And, Ma- and what maybe I be- the maybe the better question well, is like no, hold ahead, on, sorry, hold on. What I what I believe in as force is not like a Star Wars sense of like magic that you can kind of tap into and then control. I believe in I'm really informed by Tillich in this way. Uh, Tillich talked about God is the ground of all being. So God is not being. God is the ground to which being comes out of or emerges. So just think that one's just a mind F, you know, just like let that, (laughs) just let yourself think about that for a while. God is the ground of all being. And also to like talks about God is the power to be. So all, everything that has being and everything that has existence, God is the power that not, not undergirds it. The, the under language is problematic. The power that, allows it and gives it ability, gives it life and animation that God is the great animator. So when I think, when I say force, like I'm, to me, when you think about God as really the ground of being, the idea of talking to that, to the ground of being, like and using actual language breaks down for me. It doesn't make sense anymore. So And it does for me because God has, I believe God has, yes, I agree with you about the ground of being, but I believe God has entered into relationship in a special way with with us as human beings. So God kind of puts on human-ish skin and walks around and it aff- relates it to aff- us. It affects God. Exactly. Just like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the you would appreciate that. The ground of being that. come in the flesh. That's right. Well, I mean, that's that's the great mystery of Christianity, yeah, I suppose. it is. We've arrived oh, oh, at the oh, logos. Oh, it's a scandal. Okay, this is what I wanted to talk about. You just helped me. Thank you so much for not You're letting welcome. me forget about this. You're welcome. Historically, Christians have always known that Jesus is scandalous in the sense that uh, there's something called the scandal of particularity, that it was a particular person at a particular time, you know, a particular day, a particular nation, a particular woman that gave birth to God or whatever is scandalous, that God wasn't all right, but God was one thing in a certain place. And I think that's what this conversation has a problem for for, for for some people is that God would relate to human beings. That's a particularity kind of thing. God is not a generalized thing in that moment. In the moment that God experiences emotion and connection to your experience, God becomes particular and not general. And I think that that like breaks my brain when I think about God, <laughs> that God would have edges, you know, or like God would have um, form. For, well, well oh, so, so you think of a tree, right? A tree doesn't exist. Trees exist. There is no tree form, platonic form out there to which trees kind of subscribe. Everything we've ever seen or ever known or ever has been is a particular tree with certain ridges, right? And so when we think of God, we think of generalities. But when God interacts with nature, God's not interacting with humans, but individual human beings who have their own experiences. So it kind of like particularizes God. And I think that that's like, that's a powerful thing to start thinking about that God has, you know, edges to it edges because God has chosen to enter into relationship with the other. God has necessarily limited God's self is a, is a pretty powerful thing. Jeff is kind of right that getting so far out into the theoretical is one way to go, but like asking, is it helpful to use emotion language to talk about God is also an interesting question. Well, no, uh, what I was going to tack on to what you were saying though, is that like the other, that's one aspect of the scandal of Christianity. The other aspect is that, God, if God truly did reveal God's self in the person of Christ, God did not come as a king. God came on a freaking donkey and slept outside and cried when his friends died. Like that's showing so much weakness that in the ancient world, that was completely, completely offensive to so many traditions. So that's the other scandal of Christianity to presume that God could could and would choose to become that weak um, and to the point of letting God's self be executed. Philosophers have written tomes about how strange and weird and marvelous that idea is that God <laughs> would die. But, that God would but die. There's, there's, there's Christian theologians and what I was taught 
from a quote-unquote orthodox historical theistic stance was that God is not affected by even the crucifixion, that somehow there's a disconnect between God the Father and God the Son, and it's a heresy to think about patrio-passionism, that God is somehow crucified on the cross, right? That God no, the no, Father no, no, no. is it's affected. No, not that God – patriopassionism is not that God, God was not suffer. affected at all. Yeah. That, that's and, and that's what that it is. That God can yeah. suffer. But that's right. not to say that God can have emo- can have emotions. But it's like God it's the different. Father suffers. It, right. It's okay to say like, Jesus suffers because like it's okay to say the second person in the Trinity. Sense. But they don't mean suffer in an emotional sense. They mean suffer in like a physical, like feel physical pain. Because God, if God doesn't have a body, like the ultimate father, God doesn't have a body, then God shouldn't be affected. But if God didn't have emotions during the crucifixion, then like why was the temple like veil toward asunder according to the witness like early <laughs> christian writers believed that god had an incredibly emotional response there was earthquakes and crap that happened like god like shook the cosmos maybe that's maybe that's at least instructive the people we've been reading in exodus genesis jeremiah in the new testament uh jesus's parables god has emotions toward humanity um is it still helpful to use that is it still helpful to talk about god in an emotional way I think so. I think it's really problematic because it's hurt a lot of people um, saying God's angry at you or God's this or that. I I think it's terrible when it's like um, used incorrectly or in a dogmatic sort of way. Like we could completely understand how God feels about a certain situation. But um, I think it's also really healing to think that God cares enough and is moved by our lives and and what we experience. just as a pastor, I think that's an important part of what I do. So. Yeah, I think I, I grew up with a lot of holiness talking. For me, it's been helpful to go more toward the emotional language that God, you know, comes alongside me and, you know, grieves with me or rejoices with me because I I think people are trying to get at that idea in holiness. Like, you know, God's holiness can exist with sin. So God is grieved by your sin. And it turns into a very shaming thing. Like, Right. Um, if God is holy, then God has to exclude all evil, or because it's antithetical to God's nature to include it. Um, that's I, I don't totally, know. Right? Isn't that, that that's an interesting? I, we should talk about that at some point. All right. All right. All right. I don't I talk about holiness. Our time <laughs> is running out, and before us. I plunge headfirst into atheism, let's give our final <laughs> thoughts on <laughs> whether God is affected or feels, or however we want to word that. I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to think about God. In particulars, that God has relationships with particular people um, and is not this generalized thing that we kind of keep in the back of our mind or is not just a grounded being, but something that enters into a dynamic relationship and is changed by, and maybe Tillich would have said this, but to think that God is affected by what we do, for me, is a crucial part of, at least if you take the Bible as a whole and you want to like listen to the witness of the Bible and have that be a part of your theology. I think it's almost inescapable to think about God being affected emotionally by human beings for whatever reason. I think, um, I think love requires that our full, our full body to person experience the entire sum of our existence in this earth, you know, to really actually love and to be encompassed by love and to be drawn forward by love and to respond to those around us by love and to love ourselves, it requires that we be in touch with our full range of of self and experience, which includes all of our emotions. And I think that God is within and without that process and urges us into um, better being in touch. And I think it's done horrific damage to say that emotions are only appropriate sometimes, that only some people should feel or can feel emotions or that there are certain ways to experience emotions or that some emotions are more shameful than others. Like we've done so much damage. Let's just stop the madness and say, you know, emotions are God-given. They're universal or nearly universal. And uh, I I tend to believe that because of that fact, we um, come from from an emotional God. And and maybe God doesn't experience emotions in the way that we experience them, but God certainly is with us in our experience of emotions and therefore must understand them extremely deeply as pure love, God's self. The ground of our being is also the ground of our emotions. So maybe God is the energy out of which our emotions come from and our emotions are given to us to inform us, to teach us how to live in the world better. I really do think that they're a gift. They are a gift. Your emotions are a gift. Do not run away from them. 
I agree. And I agree with Alan, what you were saying earlier is that I think it is helpful to speak in emotional terms or in terms of emotion and thought when it comes to God. I just think that it is important, especially for leaders and teachers who are presenting these things to people to hold it loosely and recognize that when they say God feels or God thinks that it is a shadow of the reality of what's actually happening in God's person or self. And I think that I guess I think that's true with everything that we talk about is that whenever we speculate about who God is or talk about who God is or talk about our experiences about who God is and what we believe God to be, it's, it's a shadow of the reality that's actually happening. And, uh, I think that that's my, I, I should just get a bumper sticker that says, hold it loosely. <laughs> Although that might be <laughs> misappropriate. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, uh, let us know what you think. If you have anything to add to this conversation or would like to dig a little deeper on the topic that we talked about, you can go at irenacast.com slash 80. This is 80, episode 80. That's amazing. Um, For questions, comments, concerns, and suggestions for the show in general, you can always find all the ways to contact us at irenacast.com slash feedback. Uh, On the other side of the music, we're going to be playing a round of Would You Rather. So I think if you've ever attended any kind of youth group gathering, you've probably played this game. And we have already on the show a couple times before, but it is, would you rather? And we pose the question, would you rather do this or that? And then the other hosts have to pick which one they'd rather do. And they, in youth group, they're usually centered around something pretty disgusting. Um, but I'd like to think that we're a little high. We're yeah, past the immature potty humor, right? <laughs> I'm not That's mature. Not I'll thing. take full responsibility for it. <laughs> That's that's why we invented the segment uh, is so that we can be immature after. Well, listen, it's so whatever. We can, it's so we can we can rejoice in our humanity and remember that mm. life is about more than issues right. and problems. But we come back. This is our centering meditative spiritual practice. Being silly, uh, kicking back and drinking a beer and shooting the breeze. Mm. I got I got my whiskey. We're ready to go. I'm drinking coffee and it's like eight o'clock at night. There's a problem with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jeff, do you have one? Because I would like to play this game. I do. I do have one. Are you ready for it? Yes. I'm ready. Can you handle it? I was born ready. Okay. <laughs> this may seem like an easy question, especially considering that we are putting ourselves out there for hundreds to listen to every week. But I want you to be honest. Really think about it. Like, what's your gut reaction? Would you rather live in a world where there is complete world peace or live in a world that you rule. (laughs) Oh, that's so easy for me. Super easy. I would totally go with complete world peace because then I rule. I also win in a way. Wait, what? If you rule, you also win. No, no, no. Because then I rule, you know, in my own private domain because I have, we have achieved world peace. Everyone's happy. I'm happy. And I win, I rule. Like, I, you know. <laughs> I just thought of the Seinfeld episode that said, Master of my domain, or whatever. <laughs> Master of the house, keeper of the inn. That's interesting. So, you think world peace means everybody rules together at the same time simultaneously over their little. That's like the definition of, the of world peace. <laughs> no, I disagree. Uh, there's other people that would disagree because they think hierarchy is very necessary. I think it's basically like it's the world's going back to a Seinfeld reference. It's the world all at once saying serenity now and just pushing. (laughs) I would say world peace only because I really don't like managing other people. It's just not my thing. I I really looked up to Jeff because in his youth ministry, he could command Legion at the snap of his fingers and really like support leaders and build them up and whatever. I hate telling people what to do. It like it's it really bothers me. I'll listen to you. I'll support you. I'll be there for you forever, whatever. But don't make me like make you do stuff. That's makes me uncomfortable. So I'm going to go with world peace just because it's easier for me. I feel like this is a Miss America beauty pageant. Jeff, we all know you'd like to be in charge. Just admit it. I know I'd rule the world. Like I'm not I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) I don't need there to be world peace because I will make sure that there's world peace. Force it. Your your peace for the whole world. That's right. (laughs) It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be huge. Uh, 
<laughs> I would choose world peace because it would outlast me. You know, like even if you were like a super great leader, you know, when you die, when you kick the bucket, it's just all gone to crap. You know, I don't know. What do know? I care? I'm dead. <laughs> That's terrible. You don't actually feel that way. You don't actually. Believe. Jeff, stop it. Stop oh, it. You old silly. So and so. I thought this was a safe place where we could just be ourselves. And then he, <laughs> he let you're, his guard down and he's getting. Your true self is a tyrant. Crucified. It's true. <laughs> a benevolent tyrant, though. That needs to be said. Oh. A benevolent one. Screw um, that. Doesn't okay, exist. Okay, so, so, so uh, would you rather, I'm going to just jump in there. Ready? Would you rather be angry for every moment for the rest of your life or be sad for every moment for the rest of your life? If you had to be one. That sucks. Angry. You picked the worst ones. <laughs> angry. Because honestly, like... Oh, my God. There's there's a little bit of a rush attached to being angry. <laughs> Dude, I've I'm seen you gonna... drive, and I've seen people do some pretty bad things on the road. And there's... I get a rush watching you get angry at other people on the road. And See? That's where I'm going. Upset. I'm going angry. There you that go. seems like a pretty easy one. <laughs> I go angry, too, because uh, I think just being settled... Are you serious? Like, to be epically sad for my entire life, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I wouldn't I would, be able to do it. I would do it. I you would, would do be, it? I would choose sadness. Absolutely. I would you rather would grieve. Sad. I would rather grieve every single freaking thing in the whole world than have to be angry for one freaking minute. Because but anger is a form of grief. Yeah. Anger, no. Well, it's yeah. a stage yes. of grief. Since when are they it's a stage of grief. They're very different. Anger is like you're railing against the world. Sadness is like in some ways you've accepted it. You know, and I, I would rather accept and observe rather than feel like I constantly have to like fight for the rest of my yeah. life. You know what well, I mean? Well, when you describe it that way, then I definitely want to remain angry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't accept anything that anyone puts in front of me. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, there's at the turn of the century, the 1900s, there's these really like uh, these musicians and like really masculine people. I forgot what the the movement's called, but it's all about like speed and uh, like crazy music. That's like lots of metal and all kinds of stuff and progress and <laughs> whatever. Are you talking and about, it just dude? reminds me of, I don't even know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> there was just these people one time and no. they were mad. They were, so they were mad. super mad and they were they're fascist. Like, I'm yeah, pretty sure. Some metal and <laughs> they just thrashed around. Just it's a movement. All the time. I just can't remember what it's called. And it had, Metal music, guitar, angry. Damn it was it. horrible. Okay, hold on. Are you? Did you watch the movie Mad Max and think it was historical? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mona, give us, give us your. Okay. Would you rather? Yes. Yeah, you guys ready for this? <laughs> yes. Okay. Would you rather touch everything you see or taste everything you hear? We're talking about syn- full blown synesthesia. Synesthesia is the mixing, it's like a cross wiring of your senses, and people actually right. have this. I saw an interview with a guy who could taste everything that he said. He could taste it, like it tasted like flavors. But he was like, I had to break up this girl because every time I said her name, I tasted like really old, like mashed potatoes that had gone super bad. <laughs> He's like, he, and, I, and the, the interviewer was like, What's her name? And he goes, Do I have to say it? And she's like, Yeah. And he goes, Valerie and he started making this face like oh god I can't like I'm gonna puke it was so funny it had to be Valerie poor dude yeah that's terrible so Valerie's a really good ex-girlfriend name so I I think I'm I'm down with that guy why don't you come on over Valerie okay listen would you uh, would you rather touch everything you see or taste everything you hear does it? So you're not actually touching the stuff. You just have the sensation of touching it when yes. you see it. Yes. Oh, okay. Because that's the difference between like jail and torment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you're just, just going, going around touching everything. We're just going torment here. Or everyone. It's a form of prison, Jeff, not actual prison. All right. No, but for like just going around touching people, you're going <laughs> to end up in prison. That's that. what I'm right, saying. Right. right. Yeah. If you do it in the right way, you can technically. No, there's no doing that in the right way, there especially is. if you look at the wrong place. No, there's absolutely yeah. no doing I'm that. I'm really right sorry way. I'm doing this. <laughs> okay. Just so we're clear, Alan, you believe that there is <laughs> the right way to inappropriately touch someone. Everybody needs love, okay? Oh my God. You it's have probably to veering that into up. a different. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> 
boy. I would say touch every. I would t- touch everything I see, even though that's like sounds freaking horrible. Like if you see something sharp, all of a sudden, like you're you know you're feeling like you're being poked or whatever. I I don't I don't like that. But the thought of tasting what I hear is just like revolting. There's no way I could do it. I'm gonna have to agree with Alan. Like sound affects me. You know, like the sensation when when someone scratches on a chalkboard or something like there's certain sounds that really get me. And I, I because I know that feeling, I don't want to feel it again. And because the unknown of just being able to have the sensation of touch from everything I look at, like at least I have some <laughs> at least I have some control in that <laughs> on what I look like. But sound I have no control over. People can just throw sound my way. And I guess it comes down to me again from what I can control and not control. I've had phantom tastes. Have you guys had that before? Where you're just oh, like yeah. sitting there and then you experience something and all of a sudden you're like, dang, I taste uh, sweet potato in my mouth right now. Like what? crazy. It's like no Thanksgiving way. in my mouth. I'm not joking. That, that happens sucks. to me. Yeah, it's, it's true. true. Uh, it happens to me randomly. It happened to me maybe like a month ago. I forgot what it was, but it was like, I taste pizza right now. <laughs> and I hadn't eaten pizza in like maybe a month or two. All right. Well, that is... That is, Weird. would you rather, and I guess the real question for those of you listening is, would you rather <laughs> turn this off? Or no? anyway. um, Jeff is an angry, all right, an so, angry despot who uh, wants to touch everything he sees is all I'm, I'm getting out of this game. Those are the three things, right? Uh, yes, no. sure. <laughs> Basically. I don't know. All right. Well, I think that will be it for us this week. So if you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenacast, you can go to Irenacast.com slash support and find all the ways to show us some love. Appropriate love. <laughs> Not Alan's kind. <laughs> <laughs> so for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. <laughs> <laughs>